All right, Luke. Is it seriously going now? <laughs> Not now. What scene was it? Okay. I think we're good. Okay, so I was going to show you a clip from The Lord of the Rings where they're about to go into the mines of Moria. If you're familiar, they like open the doors and they go into the mines and they're like, we're safe. And then they see all these dead bodies. And they're like, we got to get out of here. And they go to leave and there's a monster waiting from the other side. Like, we got to go back. And they like go into the mine and it collapses. And Gandalf is like, everybody be quiet. We have a three days journey ahead of us and hopefully we won't encounter any danger. But it's very much this foreboding feeling of like, they have to go through this like very dark, very dangerous path. And so the second stage is always this idea of, it's uh, sometimes it's viewed as uh, the belly of the whale or the, the hero encounters a first death or the hero enters danger. And so it's not that the hero physically has to die, but they have to at least be put in a position that they could face death. They have to accept that as a reality. So last week we looked at uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, the hero crosses the first threshold. And this section is called Jesus Rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. She said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do you hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum? I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephah in the region of Sidon. There are many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So this story to me is it's bizarre, it's weird, it's interesting. And I was thinking about this idea of like the hero goes into to danger. And I was trying to think in my personal life like what this would look like. And I haven't really been in situations where I knew, okay, I'm going into a situation that is very dangerous. Like I might not survive this. But as I was thinking about this, there's like one that came to mind. And it was when I decided that I was like going to marry Hannah, my wife. And, you know, a lot of times you have to like go ask the father like for the blessing. Now, like Hannah's dad, he plays Santa Claus like every Christmas. He has this full white beard and he, I mean, he goes all out. I mean, he's bought legitimate leather boots. He has his own Santa suit. And I mean, this is his gig. And so if you saw him in the holidays, you'd be like, oh, look at the Santa. He's so wonderful. And kind and generous but then if you see him like the other eight to nine months of the year he's built like a gorilla like he used to be a linebacker in football and his arms are just like as big as my like torso is you know and his hands are just these i mean it's like i just imagine a gorilla and he just kind of like he's just like <laughs> like this is how he walks around and he's very quiet 
And I remember it, I was like, Steve, I want to take you out to dinner. And he goes, I'll take you out to dinner. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to, I'll save the fight for later on. Okay, fine. So I remember we're like sitting there at Panera and he is just like intensely pursuing small talk. You know, he's just like, so what about the weather? I'm like, really? Like, you know what this is about and you're stalling. So I just like came out. I was like, I want to marry your daughter. I was like, oh boy, you know, I'm going to die. Like I was just waiting for the table to just like get thrown, you know, like you just imagine the worst case scenario. It's like, how bad? Because it's like, how bad is Panera going to be destroyed by this encounter? And he was like, well, uh, and he started trying to fidget. And then I remember, you know, those moments where you're like, I'm going to go big. Like I might regret this, but I'm going to go big. And I was like, Steve, and it's always scary to use like someone much older than you on a first name, you know? I remember one time my dad was like getting away from me and I was like 12 years old in a crowd and I, I was going, dad, dad, dad. And he just was oblivious because everyone else is calling for their dad. And then this pre-pubescent boy goes, Trent. And my dad like gave me this weird look like, how dare you use my first name? And I was like, there's no other option, you know? But I mean, I looked at him and I said, Steve, I am not asking for permission to marry your daughter. And I'm hearing like this little voice in time was like, what are you saying? And I was like, I am telling you, I'm going to marry your daughter. And I was like, oh man, this is so terrifying. I'm hearing just him going, hmm. You know, like, it's like if, if steam could come out of nostrils, it would have. It was just, I was like, that's my hand. Like, this is what I'm playing. Um, so it's interesting though, because this is kind of what happens in this situation with Jesus. Is Jesus goes into a situation where he knows that like, death is a possibility. It's like, I'm going to go into the situation where I know. This is how I felt when I was going to ask Hannah. <laughs> like, death is a possibility. Probably unlikely, but, but Jesus goes in. And there's some really interesting things. So Jesus starts off. And it's so interesting because his, like, the first, like, the introduction to the sermon how does, it le- like, how does it leave the crowd? What do they say? How do they feel on the, like, the first break? Jesus says, I come here to like, prepare it. I have brought the year of Jubilee. And what does everybody say about him? Yeah, they're like, this is Joseph's son. And they also say, like, this guy is awesome. Like, they love it. Jesus is like, I'm here, to, I'm here to preach the Jubilee. And if you didn't, does anyone here know what the Jubilee is? Okay. So if you don't, like in the Jewish calendar, on the, on the Sabbath, what was it that they did? What did they do on the Sabbath? Rest. So it was built into this was this revolutionary, radical idea. So if, imagine if you were slaves, slaves your entire life, and then God brings the people out and says, for six days you work, but on the seventh day you rest. Because now it's not about what you produce, it's about who you are. So on the seventh day there was this idea that you rested. Your identity was found in who you are, not what you did. And then every seven years, there was this year where you let the whole year you rest in. Wouldn't that be awesome? Could you imagine if every seven years, it's like, guess what? You get to take a vacation for a whole year. Seven years, like I could do any job for seven years, if I knew, or six years, if I knew the seventh year was like, you're off. Like, and then every 49 to 50 years, you would have this epic jubilee. And this is where things get really cool. The year of jubilee, all debts were forgiven. All land was returned everything got like a reset to zero. So imagine like you that are like about to graduate college. Imagine if like you graduated college and then next year was the year of Jubilee and I like, guess what? You have no student loans. Like they're gone. You're like, I just got to go to education for free. Like that would be amazing. Like all the student loans, like car payments, gone. Like bills, gone. And this was even more radical because there would be people that 
if you had a bad year with farming. You might have to sell your land. You would still get to work it, but you would sell your land to somebody else. So for generations, you might work the land of your fathers and not own it. And on the year of Jubilee, you got that land back. So Jesus is like, to this people that are oppressed, that are under Roman rule, Jesus goes, guess what? I am bringing the year of Jubilee. And everyone was like, all right, like finally, we get our land back. The Romans are gone. This is great. And Jesus is like, yeah. And then he goes, you're not going to like this next part. Like, don't you love that? Like, this is what Jesus says. He goes, yeah, but you're not going to like what I'm about to say. And it's so interesting because then he tells these two weird examples. He goes, Elijah and Elisha. And he tells them that he's like, when things were bad for Israel in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha were both sent outside of the fold, outside of Israel to help other people. So it's weird because he mentions this, he mentions Sidon. Does anybody know anything about Sidon? Because I didn't. I had no idea about this. It's really weird. So if you go to Genesis, if you go to the Old Testament, there's a really, really weird story of Noah. So after Noah has the ark and the rainbow, something weird happens. Does anybody know what happens with Noah after, the, after they get off the ark? Yes, he gets drunk. He does. He gets wasted. Like, that's the first story you hear. It's like, which, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you just survived a horrible flood. You're just like, all of mankind was wiped out, and you survived, and you're like, let's party. Okay? But then what happens, because this is where it gets strange. Noah gets drunk, and then, then what? Yeah. What, what happens to Noah? His son walks in on Noah, and Noah is just butt naked. Like, he, I don't know what, like, I don't know if Noah just thought, like, he was in his tent, so he's like, I'm just going to strip down and go to sleep now, or what? But, like, so Ham opens the tent and sees his dad is naked and, like, laughs. And he goes and tells his two brothers, he's like, you guys want to see something funny? Dad is drunk and naked in his tent. And the two brothers are like, that's weird, Ham. Can you, like, see this? <laughs> you see this? Like, he's like, you guys want to see something funny? They're like, you have the weirdest sense of humor. Like, we do not get you. And so, like, they go, so the other two brothers, like, go, and they, like, cover Noah. And then Noah wakes up and is hot. So he curses Ham. Okay? And back in the Old Testament, like, we would imagine, like, if you curse somebody, you may just, like, cuss them out, and you just, like, move on. Like, the other day, we were at, like, the red light at Trader Joe's, and it was one of those moments where the car was in front of you was on their phone. So I honked. The person turned and gave me the bird, and I was like, well, you weren't moving. Like, you know, like, but it didn't, it didn't destroy my identity. I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, Hannah. Like, this person gave me the middle finger. I don't know who I am anymore. Like, all our descendants are, are in danger from this. Like, but in the, in the Old Testament, if you curse somebody, like, there was this mark upon you that, like, you were bad. So can you imagine calling in your son being like, I curse you. Like, I banish you. You're forever gone. And so Ham's son, Ham has a son, Canaan, right? And then Canaan has a son named Sidon. And then Sidon has a whole slew of kids. Like he has a litter. Like it's like rabbit level. Yeah, and I'm telling you this weird because Sidon then becomes a nation. So you have Noah, cursed Ham, that goes on to Canaan, who goes on to Sidon. Then you get to Judges chapter 10. And this nation of Sidon attacks and conquers and enslaves Israel. Right? It's bad. And then you go on and you get to, to King Solomon. He marries a bunch 
of women from Sidon who lead the country astray by going to idol worship. And then there's this woman, Jezebel, who no one names their kids after. And guess where she was from? Sidon. So Jesus gets to the story and he goes, hey, in this section, Elijah goes and he helps this woman from Sidon, not the Israelites. And then what gets strange and what gets everyone all hot and bothered is Jesus goes, I've come to proclaim the year of Jubilee to you all and also everyone else. And they get livid. They get so angry. They're furious that other people, especially their enemies, are going to get in on this really good deal. Have you ever thought about this? Like, I know that no one else has ever suffered a breakup before. Like, I'm the only one in this. But when you are broken up with, there's this really interesting phenomenon where you cannot even mention the name of the person that you used to date. So it's always like my ex. Have you ever encountered that? Like when you're telling the story, like my ex, like you can't name them because naming them personifies them and humanizes them. And you don't want to imagine them as a human. You're like, this person is a monster. This person broke my heart and I'll just refer to them as the ex. And so Jesus like names this group of people and he's like, I want them to have the good news too. I want them to have blessings and fulfillment and joy and wonder. I want things to improve. And they don't want it. And then it gets to this really weird part. Look at the last verse. Someone read this for me. Verse 30. Read verse 30. It's so weird. I couldn't stop thinking about it ever since I read it. Just anyone. Just read the verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. (laughs) What? Okay, this doesn't happen. A mob takes you and is about to throw you off a cliff. So the verse before, they take Jesus, they take him to the edge of a cliff, and then verse 30, and then Jesus just walked away. Like, is anyone curious how? Like, could you imagine this scene in a movie? Like, it would be so great. Like, like, you see the crowd, they, like, grab him, they're dragging him through the streets, and they're, like, chanting, like, murder, 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 murder. And they, like, get him to the edge of the cliff, and they're, like, all right, let's shove him off. And then, like, you, like, see him grab, and then maybe the screen just cuts to black, and you're, like, oh, no. And then, like, the next scene, you just see the guy, like, strolling through another town alive, and you'd be, like, what? Like, what happened in between him strolling through the next town and him about to be thrown off? Like, is, does anyone else... Like, even remotely curious about what happened. Like, what happened? Like, I thought about it over and over, and I was like, I just want to know. Like, was it supernatural? Was he just like, and they all dropped, and he, like, walked through? Like, I read the message version. It says Jesus gave them the slip. Like, how, like, did you just, like, <laughs> I was like, what is that even? Like, did he, like, just, like, he was, like, had, like, he was, like, ninja vanish. Like, and they're, like, where'd he go? Like, like, I just was like, what happened? Why? This is, this is so weird. And the only thing I could think of, and like, I was going to laugh, but like, I was going to show you this clip from Stranger Than Fiction, but I think clips are out of it, so we're not watching any more movies for the rest of the... <laughs> but there's this really... It's, it's probably my favorite movie, Stranger Than Fiction, and it's really cool. In the story, Will Ferrell's character has somebody narrating his life. And halfway through the movie, the narrator goes, little did he know he would soon face his imminent death. At which point, Will Ferrell panics. It's like, excuse... What? Excuse me? And it's really cool because, like, at the end of the movie, though, he realizes that the reason he has to die is he's going to save this little boy from being hit by a car. 
and it's really beautiful. And so he goes willingly to die. He goes to the moment and the boy falls in front of the bus and Will Ferrell runs out and grabs him and throws the boy to safety and gets tagged by this bus. And you're just like, this is, and it like, the scene ends with him laying like on the sidewalk, bleeding to death. And you're like, man, and you really like his character. And then it cuts to the author who has this control over his life by writing the story. And she gives this, the story, the finished story to this other literature professor and he reads it and he goes, it's good but uh, it's not great. And she goes, I know. And he goes, why did you change the ending? At which point you still don't know what's happening. She goes, I just couldn't, I couldn't bear killing him. And he said, why? And he goes, because it was the story about a man who didn't know he was going to die and who died. She says, but then it became the story about a man who knew he was going to die and died willingly to save another person's life. And then it's the line that I love. She goes, and that seems like the kind of person you want to keep alive. And I just, I love, like, every time I think of that, like, it just, it brings me to tears. I love that line, like, and that's the kind of person you want to keep alive. And the only thing I could think of with this text, the only thing I could get is, it's foreshadowing. It's saying, like, Jesus is, like, on a track to get killed. It's not going to happen yet. Like, this is, you know, in the books where you're, like, a foreshadowing scene. But it's saying, if he continues to go on this path, he's going to die. And this is the kind of person you want to keep alive. This is the kind of person that he's saying, I want to set the scales even. I want to give everybody a level playing field. I want to abolish slavery. I want to get rid of oppressive forces. I want to have war done away with. I want global peace. And this is the reason that people want to kill him. Is because it's not just for their group. It reaches out. And I was thinking about this. I read this really cool article. Apparently, if you're familiar with the Harry Potter stories, I guess it was maybe the fourth or fifth one. Daniel Radcliffe realized that like his character was on trajectory for some pretty dark things to happen. The character, the actor who plays Harry Potter. So he went to J.K. Rowling, the author of the series, and he goes, "Look, I've got to know. Does Harry does Harry survive or does Harry die at the end? Like, please tell me." And J.K. Rowling looked at him and she goes, "You get a death scene," which is so brilliant because if you read the books, like that is exactly what happens. Like Harry has a death scene. Like. And he sacrificially just willingly goes into it. He just willingly goes and dies. And like to spoil things, unfortunately, if you haven't read them, like, but you've had a lot of time. They've been out for 20 years. <laughs> but like he also gets to come back, which is part of the hero's journey, which is part of like the mono myth. Is this idea that like the hero dies, but he also gets resurrected. Like there's also something else. So I love it. Like in order for you to like have your own hero's journey, you have to have a death scene. It's not the final death scene, but it is a death scene. And one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, he once had this quote. He said, the worst thing that can happen to a Christian can never be the last thing. And I always just like, because there's just some moments that are so dark. They're so discouraging. You're wondering like where there can be any hope, any joy. And you just like hold on to that one thing. Like this is not the last thing. This is in the end. So like every week we end with kind of like a benediction, a thought to go forward in the week. I want to share with you a quote. It's from my favorite poet. His name is Rainer Maria Rilke. And he says this, Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue, do not now seek the answer, which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer.
Raina Maria Rilke. We want certainty. We want to know things. But sometimes what we have to live is in the question and the unknown. And the hope that these things, all these things will get included. All these things will be used for good. All these things will be turned towards the Lord's favor. That we have this hope and that we get to participate in it. So that's my hope for you this week. That you learn to live with these questions, these uncertainties. Except that one day you might live into the answers. Also, let's see real quick. If you're not on the email list, does somebody have a pen? I don't have a pen on me. If you, if you haven't signed up for the email, write your name and email so we can email you throughout the week.